The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 111, and it's April Fool's. Uh... Are you are you tricking me, Rob? <laughs> I'm not sure what to believe here. Uh, well, it, it is uh, April 1st on the day that we say the podcast come out, even though it comes out the day before. That's true. So that's a little bit of a trick in and of itself, right? Man, you're blowing my mind here. Um, I've been off for a week and I don't know what to think. So if you notice that our, our intro music changed a little bit, it's because we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the release of the TV show Perfect Strangers. And for all of you young kids out there that are listening to this that have no idea what we're talking about... Uh, Perfect Strangers was sort of an, an iconic uh, 80s show about, uh, you know, a, an odd couple, I guess we'll say. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it actually came out in 1989. So, um, you know, early or late 80s, early 90s. Yep. Um, I don't remember what country he was from, but I remember he said that the oldest profession in the world was sheep herder, which, <laughs> which is supposed to be a prostitute if anyone's. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, let's go through some <laughs> housekeeping. Um, we have a Slack channel. The Slack channel has been uh, very loud this week. A lot of, a lot of messages going on. Yeah, there is lots and lots of uh, conversations out there. It's getting to the point where it's hard to keep up, yeah, no. which I, I guess that's a good thing. It is a great thing. Yeah. Um, so if you want to join the uh, Slack channel, go out to colorado-security.com and click on the Slack, Colorado Equal Security Slack button. That'll get you the link to join, and, and it is free to join. You can forward that to whoever you want. We do look to keep that as practitioners in the area. We also have a mailing list, so if you go to the website, there will be a sign-up link at the bottom. Sign up for the mailing list. You'll get the show notes in your email, and you'll be the first to know when there is a new episode out. Uh, and if you want, speaking of first to know, you can also have the episodes downloaded just straight into your reader, your listener, I guess. Um, if you want to do that, uh, iTunes and uh, Google Play, that'd be fantastic. I know for those players that allow you to, we'd love it if you'd review us and, and tell other folks about how you like the show so we can get more listeners. Also, uh, we'd love it if you would tell a friend, just pass along the information to someone else, let them know how great Colorado Equal Security is so we can get uh, more people in the ecosystem. And if you said, hey, I've told everyone I know, I've already subscribed, what more can I do? Is there anything more I can do? Well, the answer is yes. We do have a Patreon campaign. If you want to help financially support the show, help pay for those uh, hosting fees and um, MailChimp fees or whatever other fees we have, uh, we'd love it if you do that. Go out there and, and all that money goes directly back out into the community. Awesome. Well, let's jump into the news. So first, uh, Governor Jared Polis this week unveiled the new Colorado logo. Um, it's a little bit different than the previous logo. There's a, a tree, a sea, and, uh, and some different colors. So when I first saw this, I said, 
man, he, is he killing, is he killing tradition? Is, is he getting rid of our 200, or I guess it'd be a hundred year old state logo? And the answer is no, he's getting rid of our, uh, what, six year old state logo yes. <laughs> that Hickenlooper put in place. Yeah. The, you know, the previous logo was a little bit, uh, a little bit dry. It, it looked like a highway sign, right? It, it did kind of <laughs> look like a highway sign. It, it yeah. definitely looked like a government logo, right? <laughs> it succeeded in that. Uh, but it was not particularly exciting. Uh, but to your point that about the colors on here, um, there's red on the flag, which is for the, the red soil and the rocks. There's yellow on the flag for the wheat fields of the Great Plains. And there's blue representing Colorado's rivers and lakes. So everyone's included here. Yes. Um, let's bring all of Colorado together with a new logo. It, it's very nice looking logo. Nice freshen up. All right. Um, next, our next story here is around millennials, and they apparently still have a crush on Denver, even though it's exorbitantly expensive for them to live here. Yeah, uh, so Denver was ranked as sixth on the Myers Millennial Desirability Index. Um, so, I first of all, I'd like to be uh, Myers, who comes up with the the indexes that uh, that they're tracking people on. Um, but Denver was behind Dallas, Houston, beep, Phoenix, <laughs> and Orlando. Uh, of course, that beep was Austin, um, but uh, but yeah, number six, and I would imagine that we would be even higher if we uh, had a little bit lower cost of living here. Yeah, interestingly, it looks like our cost of living, or um, our total home value, rather, is about twice as much as it is on those other cities. So significantly different in terms of affordability. Yeah, I think it said in the article that the median home price in Denver now is like 427000 or something like that. And in Dallas, which is number one on the list, it's 214000 Yeah, big difference. Big, big difference. All right, next story here. We talked about the space command that's been coming and how it might be in Colorado. Well, Trump has tapped a Colorado general to head the United States Space Command. Um, this is General John Raymond. He is going to be the uh, head of it of the Air Force Space Command at Peterson Air Force Base. And that's going to be a group of about 30,000 space personnel around the globe. Glad to see that Colorado is leading the charge in protecting outer space. You know, they say around the globe. They don't necessarily mean close to the globe, though, right? That's, <laughs> well, you don't really assume that means on the globe. Well, you know, isn't the entire universe around the globe? Exactly. Exactly my point. Uh, next, we have a story here from Colorado School of Mines. They have... Uh, updated their programming and they now have uh, some new degrees in space materials management. Uh, so if you are someone that is an engineer or wants, has a child maybe that wants to go in, into engineering and uh, they want to do that engineering in outer space, you can now get a degree for that at, from Colorado School of Mines. It's pretty cool. They, they talk about, you know, obviously the School of Mines has done a lot of drilling and boring as a, as a big, um, as a big part of their program since they were started, they talk about this huge warehouse they have that has different boring equipment and stuff. And they've set aside part of this warehouse to basically mimic the surface of Mars. It's going to be an interesting, a cool place to learn and uh, certainly going to give folks the tools they need to, to go into the space confidently. Well, you know, Rob, I've heard that all of that boring equipment is very exciting. Oh, man. <laughs> um, it, it is, I think, pretty interesting, though. Um, as there's been more discussion around, you know, travel to Mars or other places in outer space, you know, one of the hardest things to do is to get the materials that you need um, out of our atmosphere, right? So that mm -hmm. there's a, a tremendous cost for all of that weight to get it out of the atmosphere. Right. So if, say, you, you started a, a base on the moon and then use that as your, your jumping off point, you would need to get materials from outer space. And that, that's really what this uh, degree and the, and the program is trying to help with. That's awesome. All right, uh, next we have just a, a real quick note. Um, the 
Carbonite acquisition of Webroot has completed. It's closed. So all of your Webroot friends are now Carbonite friends. So congratulations to them. Hopefully that's great news for everyone involved. It, it sounds like there was um, not 100% agreement, but that there would be still a large presence in Colorado. And I think as of right now, the Webroot office is the largest Carbonite office. All right. Go Colorado. Maybe we can call Carbonite a Colorado company now. Um, may- Hard to say. Maybe. Not exactly. Maybe not. Um, next, we have a, a blog here from Optiv around future-proofing your business with identity-centric security. Um, you know, this is this is just a nice way to talk about um, how we are moving from this perimeter approach to, to security and, and putting identity at the front of that. Uh, it's iterative. It's meant to be a uh, you know a way we get better, but really try and think more about who it is you're securing and what those people should have access to versus what is the area that you're in and, and what how much do we trust that one area? Yeah, for sure. Uh, also had some good analogies in that article. So if you're looking for analogies around um, identity-defined security, go check that out. Uh, next, we actually have a blog this week from uh, Lara's Security. Uh, we Red Team Telemetry Empire Edition. So uh, Empire is a framework um, around uh, pen testing, and this is a, a blog talking about doing some logging and some other things using Empire. Um, fairly in-depth. Uh, lots of details about gathering that data, uh, tracking the folks using Empire. Uh, this is also sort of built around one of the, the CCDC competitions and uh, the, the bloggers uh, work there at, in capturing this data at the uh, Wisconsin CCDC state qualifier. Awesome. Well, very cool. I love to see them getting involved and giving some tips on how people can do better. Uh, next, we have a, a blog by Swimlane. This is around... Um, Microsoft's OAuth 2 implementation. Uh, this is this is interesting. This is uh, part one of a three-part series. This first one's about endpoints and application types. The next one's going to be around registering an application, and the third will be around Microsoft Graph API. But I, you know, as you talk about how the identity is, you know, part of the new perimeter here, well, that's exactly you know why you need to know things like OAuth and um, and OpenID Connect, these different protocols that allow you to. Um, to give rights based on who it is and, and consent to that appropriately. So it's interesting if, you, if you're looking to learn how this works and specifically how Microsoft has implemented OAuth 2, uh, t- take a look at this blog. Yeah, interesting read. Next, we have a blog from Webroot about locking down your digital identity. So this is actually a, you know, a more consumer-focused blog, um, but if you have uh, family members, children, other folks that you want to to give some tips to on locking down their digital identities, uh, check this out. Uh, they talk about things such as multi-factor authentication, which I think we all know is a, a good thing for helping protect yourself online. Yeah, it's a, it's a quick read, and it'll be something you can send over to your mom or your to your you know your cousins who maybe aren't quite as technically literate. Help them secure their own lives too. Our final blog here this week, Coalfire has one talking about leveraging AWS's Trusted Advisor for security and compliance. Trusted Advisor is a tool that's been around for quite a while. I'm not sure what year, but um, you know, longer than four years. I know that um, they've been uh, you know really enhancing what this thing can do and, and giving you visibility into your instances. Um, if you're someone who's moving from the traditional approach to security in the data center to getting more into the cloud, this is a tool that you're going to want to know how it works. And this is a, a nice entry, you know. Pretty easy to read, pretty easy to access blog post about how, how to use Trusted Advisor. Yeah, it's a pretty in-depth blog post too, I have to say. So uh, glad to see that there's a lot of detail in there. All right, uh, let's move over to our Slack message of the week. Big thanks to Andre Gaeta. Andre sponsors this every week. Um, we 
we call out one of the people who posted in the Slack channel and they get to pick something from the Colorado Equal Security store that um, suits them just fine. So our, our winner this week is AI. Uh, that's not her, her name. I, I believe it's a her. Um, that's not her name, but um, that's what she goes by. So that's what I'm going to call her here. Um, uh, she's one of the uh, pro planners for the B-Sides Denver event that's coming up. And um, she put a nice post in giving a lot of information about how the event's going to be in the fall this year. They haven't narrowed down the exact date, but it sounds like maybe the September timeframe. Um, it's going to be a, a different kind of approach than previous years where, you know, they've had a lot of walk-ins. Um, and I think last year they said that about 400 people will come. They're going to have a smaller group this year and everyone's going to pre-register so they don't have to turn away walk-ins at the door, which is what happened last year because of capacity constraints. Yeah, and I've seen we've seen over the past few years that uh, the B-Sides Conference here has gotten bigger and bigger. And I think they're just trying to scale that back a little bit, make it a little bit more intimate, uh, kind of get back to their roots of what B-Sides was about. Yeah, good stuff. Well, congratulations. We'll, we'll get you a note to connect with Andre to pick your, your swag. Um, next, we have a calendar of events on our website at colorado-security.com. You can go check out all the things that are happening in the security community over the next few months. Um, there's a couple things we want to call out before we go into the next two weeks worth of events. First, um, we've been going through each week talking about one of the RMISE keynotes. So, Alex, you missed last week when we announced the most exciting one where, you know, there will Wait, be... Which one was that, Bob? A, the the live episode of Colorado Equal Security, you know, uh, will be, hap be happening there on the keynote stage, closing the uh, the first day of the main track on Tuesday. Um, but you want to introduce who are, who are uh, third, I guess it'd be Wednesday. So, so Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Yeah. So, our Thursday morning keynote speaker... Um, and I'm probably going to put the uh, wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Um, but uh, Miko Hyponen, who is the uh, CEO of F-Secure, um, very well-known person in the, the security community, been around for a long time. Uh, very excited to have Miko there. Yeah, internet superstar, uh, security superstar. Yeah. Really, really excited to have him come out all the way from, I know he's from Europe. I'm not sure what country he Finland. lives in. He's in Finland? Yep. Well, very cool. We're excited to have Miko come out. Um, that will be exciting. And then, of course, next week, uh, tune in to figure out who our final keynote is going to be. Da, da, da. The um, and then before we go on, one more thing here as I kind of looking forward, uh, I wanted to get, put this one out here early because you might want to uh, put this in your kid's calendar right now. Um, so we talked about it last year. and It's happening again this year. The NCC National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs is going to be doing a week-long cyber camp for kids. Um, so this is going to be uh, July 15th through 19th. It's about 20 hours of content, a way for your kids to, to learn, you know, what a cyber job looks like. Pretty so cool. is this kind of like Tron? Like you get, you get put into the cyber? Um, I would yeah. only assume so, yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think they have that technology now, don't they? That sounds awesome. I would love to yeah. do that. Uh, first normal event, uh, the NCC is doing their meet and greet on April 1st. April 2nd, SecureSet is doing a Hacking 101 intro to Wi-Fi. On the 4th, ISSA Denver is doing a happy hour at Automox. The 4th through the 6th, there is that three-day conference, which is Lady Coders happening downtown. On the 5th, uh, Cybersecurity in Colorado Springs is doing their first Friday event. Um, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing one of, one of their Security Plus exam preps. This is uh, session one. It's happening on the 6th, and I think it happens every week thereafter for three weeks. Um, we probably won't talk about two and three because, you know, if you didn't go to the first one, maybe you're not going to any of them, but let you know that this is happening and this is a really good opportunity to get some high quality training. Yeah. Very inexpensive for that kind of uh, prep work on the ninth CTA is doing progress and potential, a profile of women inventors on us patents. Very cool. Also on the ninth secure set is doing a beginner's intro to capture the flag 
On the 9th and 10th, ISSA Denver is doing their April chapter meetings. And then finally, on the 12th, there is, once again, office hours with Davis, Graham, and Stubbs. If you have some legal questions, that's where they're here for. Sweet. So let's go over to jobs. Uh, first couple jobs are from Ping. I have um, same job I've talked about a couple weeks now. We have a junior product security engineer. This is someone who um, has some development experience, maybe doesn't necessarily have a lot of security experience, but has a passion in getting involved. And if you want to be that person's boss, we're also hiring a team lead for product security, um, someone who's got more experience and some um, some security chops as well, but definitely a developer skill set is what we're looking for here. Cloud Elements is also looking for an IT security manager. Alchemy Security is hiring a Splunk professional services consultant. The Mental Health Center of Denver is looking for a HIPAA privacy and information security systems officer. That's a good long title. Yes, it is. Yeah. Slack is hiring a senior engineer focused on detection and incident response. Bank of America is looking for an information security engineer. Zayo Group is hiring a cybersecurity analyst three. Davida is looking for an IT audit manager. And finally, Zcash, our favorite cryptocurrency headquartered here in Colorado, is hiring an associate DevOps engineer. Wonderful. Well, that is it for the news this week. Uh, feature interview this week is with Josh Saunders. Josh is the head of security over at Otter Products up in Fort Collins. Had him uh, in the ping office a little bit ago, and we, we sat down and, and talked through what's going on. Sounds good. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Mary Haynes, VP of Network Security at Charter Communications. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is a feature interview. I'm sitting in the Ping offices with Josh Saunders, the, uh, well, you're the head of enterprise risk management and cybersecurity for Otter. Did yep, I get so that right? Close technically, enough? I'm the senior director of enterprise security and risk management. Okay. So the new title is the ESRM movement that you'll see out there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to talk about what you do for your job and, um, and all that good stuff. But first, I want to know what it is. You told me that you're kind of like a prototypical boulder guy. And I want to know, what, what does that mean? Yeah. I assume it means you eat a lot of granola. And you yeah, ask, most people would a, say that. This is a farm, farm-raised chicken before you eat it. Most people would say that. I think like the bolder dude is somebody that has a bicycle that's more expensive than their car. <laughs> they run. They wear a lot of Gore-Tex. And for me, I also throw in fly fishing in there. So kind of kind of those yeah. things. And I also would say like, oh, it's too snowy to go to work today, but it's not too snowy to drive to Eldora. So, so I'm going to do a, a three-hour commute in, in traffic to go <laughs> yes. to Eldora. Yes. To, uh, instead of going to work. All right. So talk to me. You said you're you're in the process of training right now. What are you training for? Yeah. So the Colfax Marathon, kind of one of the more famous marathons in the United States here in Denver. It's yeah. a spring marathon. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal for runners. A lot of people come here for it because they got all different distances from a uh, relay race, uh, the 10 miler half marathon marathon. So it's, it, it's, it's a good thing to get your butt off the couch in December yeah. and start running. So you'll be ready to go next month. Uh, is it, is it in April? Yeah. So what's, uh, do you do the full marathon or what do you I, do? Yeah, I'll do all 26.2 of it. Hopefully, uh, unless something drastically bad happens. Uh, but yeah, I'm hoping can, so. Can I ask you what your goal is? Like how fast do you want to finish? There's a whole CIA that goes into what you'll tell people about yeah. that, but they say a good solid marathon is under four hours okay. for somebody that's, you know, I'm around 40 years old. So yeah. under four hours, I'm good. I'm not a yeah, that'll make you happy. If yeah, you, I'm not an under three. Are you trying to are you trying to PR? 
Nope, just finish. Okay. Just finish. Under four hours and just finish. My PR for the marathons is 3.43. I'm not a fast runner. Yeah. Uh, but I'm fast enough for me. Yeah, but I'm fast. What, what kind of pace is that? Uh, somewhere like 8.48. Okay. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So when I run like a 5K, that's about the pace I'm running at. So you're just doing, yeah. what is that, like eight 5Ks in a row? Or yeah. <laughs> the idea is to keep it out for the long range and, and, and not to slow down. Awesome. So yeah. Awesome. Well, well, awesome. Let's, let's go ahead and, and I'd like to learn some more about your background. Uh, where are you from? Yeah. So I grew up in Northern Ohio. Um, always had a love for Colorado. I was fortunate. Um, my dad was an outdoorsman and I was also in the Boy Scouts. And so I did a lot of trips to Colorado. Mm -hmm. So that kind of started my idea of moving to Colorado way, way back then. So, so like even as a school kid? Yeah, totally. In elementary school, I came to Colorado several, several times. So did you graduate from high school out in Ohio? I graduated from high school in Ohio and then I went to a small college, North Central State. Uh, and Where is that? It's in Mansfield, it's northern half of the state, okay. uh, and got an associate's degree in law enforcement. And then mm. uh, subsequently, that's also the Ohio Peace Officers Training Academy. So you get a peace officer certificate and an associate's degree at the same time. Okay. And so I, I assume you went after law enforcement after that? or I did. I was really interested in law enforcement and uh, kind of computer science at the same time. Um, but when I graduated, I was only 20. So I'd had to do an internship and I got in with a retail company doing security work, hmm. both physical and at the time they called it system security. Okay. And I got on with a very small police department. So simultaneously working at both. This is like somewhere in the mid nineties, late nineties, something like that. Late nineties. Yep. Yeah. Uh, police officer jobs were harder to get back then. There wasn't as much hiring, hmm. uh, but there was an expanded retail growth at the time. And there was a lot of upside to that job as okay. well. So I kind of did both of those at the same time. Uh, and what is this a retailer we've heard of, or is like a little retailer is called Meyer. They're regionally okay. based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. They're a combination uh, general merchandise groups like a Super Target or Super Walmart. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it was one of the best things I did hmm. because I learned a lot about the industry, all the way from physical security, executive protection, um, risk management, and, and bizarre things, you know, around how insurance requirements affected yeah. the, the organization. So did you move to Grand Rapids for this job? Or? No, I was, it was locally where I, there was, there was offices all over. Okay. So there was an office close by where I lived. At the same time, um, the small police department just was just not really working out. So there seemed to be more of a pull to this corporate security world that quite frankly, I didn't even know about until I got the internship. Yeah. So it was really, really good for me. So how long did you do that? So I was there uh, five years. Okay. And wow, then, five years. Yeah. You started as an intern. I assume at some point you weren't an intern anymore. No, I did uh, two years of internship okay. and while going to school and then um, just sort of an analyst role is the same and then um, team leader. Okay. And then I got uh, fortunate. I met somebody through another friend and said, hey, have you heard of this company called Best Buy? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different security roles there. Um, and then... Um, it worked out really, really good for me to go to work for Best Buy in a regional office in Chicago with the goal of moving to Colorado to finish going to school. And that was more of a physical security role at the time, doing investigations, uh, financial crimes, inventory crimes, mm. uh, different things like that. But that was kind of the stepping stone into more of an information security role mm. there. So it looks like you did business continuity there as well. Uh, was that systems business continuity or workforce or facilities or what was your focus? Yep. So they'd, they'd gone through different, 
different variations of business continuity. Um, and they'd had a couple different um, auditing firms come in and, and do all these different audits and say, you know, what really needs to happen for a retailer that's got a central office in Minneapolis, the time 600 stores out there, what, what's that need to look like? Yeah. Does that need to have business continuity for a PCI environment? Is it uh, store operations? And they, they struggled with that for a while. And then eventually we, we, we developed this enterprise business continuity model, looked at hardening of the system, so disaster recovery as a partner, physical operations, so everything from what if a snowstorm shut down a uh, portion of the U.S., a hurricane, how mm-hmm. do we bring uh, uh, business operations back online, and as well as the technology that comes with it. And that mm-hmm. was a springboard for a lot of other things for me there. So yeah, it looks like you were there for almost 14 years, more, yeah, more than 13 right. and a half years. Yeah, almost 14 years total. So, so lots of, I'm sure you had lots of different yeah, projects I wore, and things. Yeah, many different hats, uh, a lot of exposure, traveled the U.S., traveled the world, looking at just, you know, um, and a lot of technology exploded in that time too. And one of the big things that happened is a major retailer had a breach. Hmm. And with that major retailer breach came a lot of security requirements, a big push to harden our systems, make it more resilient, and push it forward to where yeah. we could we could identify how that would happen to us. Yeah, and it being headquartered in, in Minneapolis and, and Target, of course, being the, the retailer, it also headquartered in Minneapolis. That's exactly. uh, probably a very relevant exactly. story. Nice you guys knew exactly. each other. Yeah, we knew each other. Uh, we brought on uh, a really talented CISO at the time, and she was really good at, at, at looking at the future and kind of teaching me what that future could hold. Yeah. And uh, I'm really thankful for my time there. Uh, what, what's her name? Deb Dixon. Yeah, I, I, I think I've, I've met her a couple times. That's great. Yep. Um, so, you know, looking over those 13 years, any favorite stories or favorite projects that you, you did while you were there? You know, I think we did a lot of, of cool stuff on the investigation side, uh, really understanding um, insider threat models. I think without going into big detail, there's a lot of insider threat cases that I personally enjoyed, uh, both from a physical security and a cybersecurity standpoint. So the investigations were really cool but really just the expansion of the company. That mm-hmm. was the cooler thing. When I started working there, um, we were planning for this 600 store readiness is what they called it. And we were at 300 stores at the time, so we were doubling the yeah. size of the company. And it went from 300 to you know, over 1,000 in that point wow. in time. So when you just put that in perspective of just retail locations, uh, that's the cool story is how they were able to go from you know, where they start a humble beginnings to a $50 billion company. There's a lot, there's so many stories in there, I wouldn't even know where to start from. So how, during that time, how did you move from, you mentioned this is where you started getting exposure to, to cybersecurity stuff. Where, how did you get that exposure? Because it's a, you know, it's a different set of skills. How yeah. did you make that move? You know, I was fortunate, I, I kind of alluded to this, that, you know, I'm a kid of the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So I was exposed to computing early on, uh, from building computers to playing games on them. Yeah. Um, so I've always kind of had just the, the computing background from a fun standpoint. Um, but the exposure is, is understanding what's out there. And again, I really credit to some of the people that I worked with to say, you know, the future of security work is information security. And if you take that back into the time, that was that was a relatively new field. It's you know it's everywhere today, but you know in the early 2000s, there was not a lot of information security focused people. Hmm. Um, but technology was exploding, and therefore so were the threats. The threats were exploding, 
And people did not understand, in my eyes, didn't understand what those threats could mean to an organization, whether you know, information was more valuable than, say, cash at a retail store, yeah. or uh, customer, customer identities were more valuable than merchandise that was on the, yeah. the, on the shelves. So the exposure really started kind of layer by layer by la layer of privacy. We were looking at customer data privacy at the time. Uh, Geek Squad was expanding as well. Mm -hmm. So there was just, you know, people were bringing in machines that that was a whole set of threats they would put onto the network. Um, so it was really just a layered approach of figuring out, you know, what realm is out there in the information security standpoint. I had some foundational skills. Um, and then at the time I was pursuing a public policy degree as well. Hmm. And that just kind of you know, morphed its way into more of a risk degree and risk management. And things just kind of all came together at one point in time. Hmm. So you were there, it looks like through September 2015. Um, what was the impetus for your a change? Yeah, so I was, uh, my wife and I were living here locally in the Boulder area, okay. working out of a regional office and doing a lot of commuting, a ton yeah. of commuting. And um, well, I had how, no... You didn't, we didn't even talk about how you got to Denver. Uh, so uh, maybe, maybe I'll just tell the story, then I'll come back there, sorry. Yeah, no, I, it's, I think it's better to tell how I got to Denver. So okay. I, was, I was really wanting to move to Denver, um, and I was fortunate. Um, at the time, Best Buy was growing, and they had a lot of different needs and wants. Yeah. And I had moved to the Baltimore, D.C. area to mm. kind of start up the East Coast operations. And I just happened to randomly mention to my boss, I said, hey, you know, I'm really trying to move to Denver. Mm. And this, this may affect me long term. And he said, why don't you just move there with us? Mm. And that, that's literally how it happened. What year uh, was that? That was in uh, 2004. Okay. Well, wow, pretty that. early. I had yeah. to think about that for a second. And um, yes, packed up and moved to Boulder. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, she came with me, and that, that was kind of the stop. Wow. And that was the end goal was to move here. Yeah. And so 2004, you moved here, and then all the way through 2015, yeah. right? It's a I long to, run with Best Buy and here in Colorado. I got to got to work out of a great office here. Did a lot of commuting. Again, we were expanding rapidly around around the country, yeah. so um, you know, it wasn't necessary to be in one place. Okay. So, and and Denver is a great state to commute out of. Sure. You can get anywhere domestically mm -hmm. from DIA. It works out. Yeah, it's a killer place to live and, yeah. and to work out of. So you so you had been commuting a lot. You said 2015. Commuting a lot and uh, wanted to start a family. And I had known uh, through running and cycling. I had known some people at Nike, and Nike was expanding their program uh, and looking for a global director to help with uh, enterprise resiliency. And I got lucky, and they chose me. Mm -hmm. So we packed up and moved to Oregon. Yeah. And started our career out there. Uh, so, so you moved to Oregon in that same time frame, uh, business continuity, it looks like health and safety as well? Yeah, so there uh, we called it global resiliency. I had uh, instant response okay. from, the, from, the, from the InfoSec standpoint. Global business continuity around the world. Um, health and safety was tagged on at the end. It's like something I seem I can't get away from. And then a myriad of other little things, sure. you know, whether it's working with the SOC, uh, they call it the NIC there. Um, a lot of different hats you wear there yeah. as part of a larger team. So how was it working at Nike? Yeah, Nike was probably one of the best things that happened to me. Hmm. It is a very professional and mature organization. Um, 
it's segmented very, very well from, uh, from our world from a security standpoint. It is truly global. Uh, there's, gosh, over 80,000 employees around the world, manufacturing sites, office sites, um, you name it. If there's an incident that goes on, Nike could probably be touched to it from there. Mm. So it's, it's a 24 by 7 job, and it's definitely around the world. So any interest, specifically, specifically interesting projects you can share or what you worked yeah, on? Yeah, I think during my time there, we were really maturing the, the incident, incident response model. Um, yeah. So we had a lot of things that can touch. And a gig example, um, the Paris soccer stadium bombing. Yeah. We had both employees there. We had our guests there. So we had to figure out, is there impact for that? Hmm. And does that impact touch us as Nike? And then what do we do around that impact? And that was a major incident from a life safety standpoint, um, not necessarily from an information security, but getting those employees out of there, making sure they're safe, mm. and then making sure we kind of return our business operations normally. Um, lot of smaller scale incidents that were very learning, you know, learning curves. How we tuned our our um, security operations center. Yeah. Um, we also had the coup d'état in Turkey while I was there. Mm. Um, a lot of weather disasters, uh, a lot of manufacturing issues, and they all kind of touch, they all touch each other, you know, back in Beaverton at this one yeah. hub. So the exposure that you get there is incredible. But also I think the, the more thing for me was, you know, running a giant program. Uh, it's, 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 it's quick learning. It's yeah. very, very quick learning. You go from almost 14 years of a comfort zone to trial by fire quickly, yeah. you have to learn a lot very, very fast. So you, you, know, you were only there for about a year and a half, it looks like, so what happened? To, yeah, know, ultimately you know, the pull of missing Colorado yeah. um, was too great. Uh, I had my first child while I was there mm -hmm. and we really missed So your lifestyle. first child is not a Colorado native, is that what She I'm is hearing? not a Colorado <laughs> native and we actually used that against her a little bit, but the, the pull of Colorado was great for us. Yeah. and. Um, my wife has family right here in town. Um, it just, it, it really, we really missed it here. Yeah. And it's hard for people to understand that, I think. Um, the job was awesome, it was a really killer job, but not enough to overtrump of where you wanna live. Yeah, that makes sense to me, and, friends and family. And, yeah, and the opportunity at that first to come to, come to Otter was presented to me, and I didn't quite understand the company, so I wasn't necessarily into it. But when I met with the executive team and understood the breadth and, and what they were trying to do, it was a no-brainer for us to move back. And I, I pulled the trigger quickly and, and moved back. Sounds like a pretty different job, too. Like, I mean, you've been mostly focused on business continuity and incident response your whole career. Now, yep. you know, at Otter, you get to own the whole I own the whole right? thing there, yeah. So yeah. Uh, been at Otter just over two years. Yeah. Um, and again, when I first started there, the idea was just to help Otter understand what the risk posture was and what the threat landscape was out there. And that was everything from information security all the way down to physical security and, and, and all the risks that kind of touch in between. And then once we understood that was really to, to build and mature what I call a realistic program. And I, yeah. I, I stress the term realistic because you know, the old adage is how much security do you need? Well, just enough. Well, what is that just enough? And they had right. been through a couple of attempts at making a security program, but they never found that sweet spot. And that, that really is the mission, is to figure out what's the sweet spot, what do we need to protect, and how much protection do we need to put on mm. it. 
and then can, you know, continually advise the organization of um, what that looks like. So I, I expect that most people listening have a similar to impression to what I had a couple of years ago about Otter as Otter Box as yep. making, you know, the the everything proof um, phone cases, yep. right? Um, maybe you could talk to me about it. You know, is that the right picture? Is there more to it? You know, yeah. What and do you I guys do? I would have said the exact same thing two years ago when I was doing research on the company. Yeah. Um, Otter's a, a fascinating story. So. Uh, Kurt Richardson is the founder of Otter. He was a, he calls himself a serial entrepreneur, but he was, um, he was kind of in the molding tool and die injection molding business. Mm. He, he was really smart about thinking about how to create things. And Otter was founded in 98. So we're, we're just over the hump of a yeah. big anniversary, but he was making a lot of different things. And one of the things he invented was the dry box. It's just a plastic box. The gasket, but it could keep things completely waterproof, yep. and uh, you know, down to so many feet below yep. water and all this. But he found that there was a big niche for that, and really, if you think about in that time, what had happened was cell phones became very prominent. Yep. Cell phones were expensive, and they were extremely delicate. If you go all the way back to 07 when the iPhone came out, very delicate machine, and that kind of laid the foundation for the Defender. But you guys were bef around before that even, right? Before the iPhone. Oh, yeah. I, would, I worked for a, a oil and gas company, and you know, all those field guys who were out there, you know, fixing things out on the lines, we, I can't even remember what phones they had, but we had some kind of a standard phone, and we used Otter We were making box. cases for PDAs, Palm Pilots, like, It might have been phones, PDAs, it might have been what it was. Uh, industrial equipment, so really yeah. that injection molding. We were making a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. But... As it comes to most of our listeners, they're going to think of the cell phone right. case. Yeah. And the Defender was kind of the first one. So it was the thick, heavy, molded. You could, you could Essentially, you could run over a phone with a yeah. Defender on it, and it's going to protect it. And that yeah. was the springboard for, for all the different products that they've created now. If you fast forward to today, we're certainly in the MCA world, which is uh, mobile cases and accessories. Hmm. Uh, we also have a line of outdoor products. So we make coolers, very large premium, uh, hold ice for days coolers, premium drinkware, uh, a couple other different accessories. And then in the future, we have a different product line that will be coming out soon that's even going to diversify us even more. Well, hopefully there's a press release that we can share on the show yeah. so I can have a follow-up yeah, to this. it's coming. It's um, coming. And, and, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, your founders created Otter you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, and I, I think you mentioned to me off, off the air that they've also created like a, a parent company that does that, some yep. other stuff as well. Can you share that? So our parent company is Blue Ocean Enterprises. It's in yeah. Fort Collins as well. And it's a management consulting company. Um, but we do have a couple other brands that some people should be uh, familiar with. Kind of one of our larger brands is Angel Armor. So it's a ballistics armor company. Uh, we create uh, wearable armor for police officers yeah. as well as door armor for different law enforcement vehicles. Interesting. So, like, uh, like, so you can't shoot through a door, basically. Yep. Yep. It's got different threat levels. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into understanding that. But yeah. yeah, it would armor the door, so when the officer gets out, you could have the door open and okay. protect there. We also have Old Elk Distillery, which is local in Fort Collins. So we make uh, different gin, whiskey, and uh, Nuku bourbon cream. That's, that's kind of random. That's yeah, it's not kind of same. random. It's kind of neat though. Is, it's kind of, it, it is neat. Is this one of the, the founder's hobbies is, is booze? It is, it is neat to say that we're in that business as well. Yeah. 
And then we have some other uh, below the radar um, businesses that you wouldn't know about. We have a design firm. Um, we also have a manufacturing of, of wood pellets mm. over in Europe. So we're, we're, we're fairly diversified. So wood pellets for like burning in your home yep. fireplace? Yeah, okay. highly efficient uh, fuel that yeah. would, you know, that just isn't necessarily popular in the U.S., but de yeah. definitely popular outside the U.S. Okay. So, you know, when you, when you walked in there, you know, what, what became your top priorities for, uh, I guess, you know, p put myself in, in Josh's uh, shoes as, day one on the job, how am I going to get become? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of what I alluded to earlier was understanding our risks. Yeah. And that that I took really the first six months to understand the business. And I think that's a lot. That's a step that most of us should take is just what do we do? And I, I actually followed the life cycle of how do we manufacture, how do we design, implement, manufacture, transfer and bring goods back to the U.S. We manufacture most of our stuff yeah. uh, outside the U.S. Understand just what are the products that we make? I, I've spent a lot of time understanding that and then associate the risk with and there's some real easy common risks that I went after right away, but kind of taking that blank slate and just understanding the posture of the company and that as it is here in the US, China, uh, we also have an office in Cork, Ireland as well. So what are all those things? We had some glaring ones. We had a PCI need coming right away. Mm -hmm. GDPR was ramping up. Uh, we process a lot of European data. We manufacture uh, heavily in Asia. So there's a whole slew of risk there. But also we take in um, information, confidential information and PII from all these different areas, including OEM manufacturers. So we get their, their information way before it's released. So we have a duty to protect you know, I go back to CIA on that all the time. The confidentiality, availability, integrity of that information was was really prevalent right away. Yeah. So understanding where do we do that and then how do we build that realistic program around all these risks. Yeah. That was the start of what I did the first year. I think, I think anyone listening, I just emphasize, echo what Josh just said, that you know there is no answer that works universally at every company. Mm -hmm. First thing you do is figure out how your company works, what matters, and how do you defend those things. Yeah, and I think working at Nike set me up well for that because really it's the same process. There's a, there's a group of people here locally that, that really come up with these concepts, yeah. and we get the concept all the way through prototyping, and we take the prototyping out to manufacturing, bring it back. It's a huge supply chain that goes in there in between. And then obviously we sell it to customers. Our customers are the distributors and then also endpoint sellers as well. Yeah. So what have been some of the projects you've done, you know, understanding that you, you spent some time understanding what to go do and what did that inform you to go actually implement? Yeah, I think the biggest part of that was really uh, building up and maturing the information security program. So couple easy wins right away where we were preparing for GPR. So just really getting off the ground and making sure we're compliant under that. And compliance isn't necessarily security, but it did get us up to the road. And it gives you an excuse to do some security too. Gives you a big excuse. I think even a bigger one was uh, getting a PCI DSS compliant with yeah. our bank. That There was a lot of security maturity that came in there. Staffing to the appropriate level of where we needed to be. And then really getting some, some baseline tools and deployment out there. So whether it would be, you know, getting our endpoints secure, identity and access management, um, really just looking at our perimeter defenses and are they usable? And then the basics too, policy, writing policies, a lot of policy, um, 
getting our physical security to match our information security, understanding where our data was at was a big project as well. Mm. Uh, we're recently spinning up our business continuity program as well, and that, that in maturing with disaster recovery. And now just getting more of a operational tempo, security operations day to day, and sort of maturing those tools now that we have some of them in place. Yeah. That's been the big project. When you've gone to hire, I'm gonna use this question to, to give some advice for those people who are looking for jobs. When you've gone to hire folks, what are the skill sets or attributes or traits that you're looking for in your candidates? Maybe talk through the different roles you've hired. Yeah, so I've hired, I've hired two analysts. Mm -hmm. I was lucky that I had one person already on um, and a business continuity person. But the common trait that I would say amongst all of them, and I'm hiring in Fort Collins, so my, my, we all say there's, there's not enough talent out there, mm -hmm. right? and I believe that. But it does get smaller when, I, when you move away from the metro area. So I'm looking at a slightly decreased pool, but we do, we do pull a lot of people from the Denver area. Mm -hmm. But I think security people have to have that curious mindset. Like, can I fix a problem? And can I make it better than it was before? And we've talked about this a little bit offline, recognizing a problem and can I fix it? Mm. There's certain skill sets that come along with that. Um, I would like to hire people that can code mm -hmm. if possible. That's not always available. Um, I'd like to hire people that have a realistic view of the security world. You know, I'm not necessarily someone that chases people with certifications. I like, to, I like to see what people can apply that, you know, and when you interview people, you do the scenarios, how would you reply that? I don't try to make the scenarios so complex, but I want to give a garden variety thing and say, how do we handle this? Yeah. And I'm looking for people who can chase it down, fix it, and I always, it's kind of cheesy if I say, leave it better than they found it. Yeah. And that, that's a common trait I look for. Yeah, that's great. What, any, uh, any suggestions for those folks who are either career changers or, um, and are just graduating, who really want to be impress you or impress you know a hiring manager during an interview process? What can they do walking in the door to to you know, blow someone's socks off? Yeah, I think number one is research what what they're going after. I think a lot of people spend a lot of applications out there, and uh, you know the advice that was given to me uh, when I was early on in my career was you know pick that path and become very good at that path, and mm -hmm. that's that's there's a lot of different paths in security. We all know that. There's there's a lot of different paths, but security is its path onto its own. So, I will look for what have people done to to build their kind of their intellectual horsepower around security. I interviewed and subsequently hired an, an analyst, and this guy really impressed me with his personal life as it related to security. He was not too techy, but talking about you know, what he does at home with his home lab. And it wasn't anything off the wall, but just yeah. solving small problems and talking about um, how he, you know, kind of secures his family with password managers and educates them and different things. We all know that translates into the workplace. Yeah. You know, we're always talking about the endpoint users are weak. He did that with his family. And this is a, you know, a young person straight out of college. So yeah. I think just do they have a good grasp on what is information security and how does it relate to a lot of things? I think that's impressive to me. Yeah. Not just reciting, you know, the CIA triad and things like that. Yeah. Uh, when you look for, you know, changing topics on you, when you look to what you're going to be focusing on throughout the rest of 2019 and maybe 2020, what are the 
the big themes for what you want to get better at and where, where you see improving your own program? Yeah, so really is, you know, next year is more of a year of maturity for us. And what I want to get better at is just standard daily security operations. I think that that hardens us as a company that we don't we don't miss on the basic blocking and tackling. But then how do we accelerate beyond that? So I want to get really, really good at vulnerability management. That's that is a symbiotic thing out there. It's a combination of my team, the information technology team. We are separate at Otter. We, yeah. we don't we don't roll up the same way. So vulnerability management is probably priority number one for me. Sure. And that that also includes maturing the tools that help us with that. Whether that's as we talked about, you know, getting our sim really refined, getting our our, our endpoints refined, scanners, etc. But also, how do we work well with our partners and in infrastructure that are helping us get those vulnerabilities down? Hmm. So if we can get, really get better at that, I'm going to feel good. I think two is defining those in the roadmap that that's going to generate, whether it's threat intelligence and how do we use that in combination to make it a usable program. And then I think being good partners to the business. I say all the time that security should be business enablement. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to hear my company refer to us as the no's. You know, well, security says we can't do this. Certainly, we're going to say no to some things, but how can we find ways to enable our business as we grow, as we move into different countries, do different products? But how can I apply defense in depth to where it does not get away to make the business better? And yeah. that's that's what I want to get better. And I, I'm not exactly sure what that is yet until we get into those areas, um, but I think that's something that we're really striving for as a yeah. team. So you, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and, and you know that I am not a buzzwords guy, but I'm going to give you a bunch of buzzwords anyway, and I'm going to see which of these... See what I say? Uh, which of these are relevant, which of them are worth talking about, and which of them are just buzzwords, right? Um, so you know, big data slash machine learning, where does that fall for you? To me, at, at where we're at right now, it's somewhere in between. We have a business intelligence unit that's relatively new, mm -hmm. so we have a lot of data. Every company has a lot of data. Yeah. And I think, how do we harness that data to get it better and usable? Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways the data was stored, all the way from you know low-level Excel spreadsheets to databases, but BI is the big word. I think that's a buzzword on top of that. Yeah. How do we use that and how do we make the, the enterprise better with it, I'm not exactly sure, so I kind of put it in. I know it's out there, so I'll say buzzword on one side when I see the results. So is that the business is that's looking for business intelligence, or is it security that you're looking for within your program? I think it's the business yeah. is how I would okay. I would say that. Um, sure. Certainly there's a, that, there's a feed that plays into us, and we've, we've gleaned a lot of information off of that yeah. to help us mature the program, but it's it's still in its infancy for me, so I'm not clearly on one side of the fence sure. or the other. So the cloud used to be a buzzword, and I'm not sure if it is anymore. It's not a buzzword. I say, I say where where are you at on that? Uh, Where's the cloud in your in your world? You know, as I like to tell people, the CIA stores stuff in the cloud. Yeah. I think we we've moved past like the cloud is the way to go. Um, you know, for a security practitioner, these highly on-prem customized environments were super hard to secure. They were super hard, and now we're, we're moving away from that. And we're, mm. we're getting more standardized, more baseline. And I think there's a trust in the cloud now. We've seen, we've just seen time fix a lot of that stuff where the cloud is 
deemed more secure in people's minds. We're willing to put our sensitive data out there. Certainly there are some things that you know, contractually may be recalled back, but I feel like just the world is, is into the cloud. Yeah. So no buzzword. Uh, blockchain. You know, when you break blockchain down, blockchain is still a ledger. Yeah. It, it's so, and it's it's. I think blockchain is a buzzword on top of what it does. It's a, it's a way of, of movement. Uh, it can simplify some business processes. I don't think it's for everybody, but I think there's it, it'll be less of a buzzword and more usable. So, what's the relevance for either Otter or your security program or security in general, from your perspective? <sighs> well, I think. From my lens, and that's a hard question for me to answer. You know, it is, it fits into the, you know, there's a lot of accounting that goes into it, so there's a lot of record. I, I don't think I can really answer how it's going to fit into security today. In yeah. the future, we're going to really clearly define the way that would fit into the security stack. I'm not exactly sure mm -hmm. of how I would say in the future would look, but I think less of a buzzword, and we'll see more of business cases where it's been used and shown to improve the security posture. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I, I know you've been uh, somewhat involved in the, well, once or twice, I think you've been in the ISSA Fort Collins yep. group. Do, I, I, could you talk about that at all, your experience? I'm, for anyone who's maybe in that area, uh, what's your experience been like so far I, I with think that? If I could even just expand that, the Colorado security sure. scene. Uh, so me moving back here after a while, I, I feel like even being gone just you know slightly less than two years, the Colorado security scene is way better. Hmm. Uh, it's really grown. There's a lot of avenues out there. There's there are more things that you can get involved in than you than you have time. Yeah, that's sure. that's the listeners of this podcast will know when you guys go through the events. I'm I can't get to the events just because there's so many of them. Yeah. So now it's almost like a pick and choose. Where yeah. do you go? I think that that bodes well for people that want to get into security. Back to that original question. Pick some events and go to them. Yeah. Uh, they're they're inviting. They're very cool to go to. I've found. I found them to be really good. All the way from there's a there's a 2600 magazine meetup in Fort Collins. That's yeah. that's decent. Is it? Um, and that's taken it way back. Yeah. Um, all the way through, uh, you know, your conference that you're about to help put on. I think yeah. there's so much out there. Um, you should get involved. Yeah. Anybody so, listening should get involved. For those who don't know, 2600 is a, a hacker magazine that started somewhere in the, I assume the 90s. I the 90s so. is when I heard of it. That's if when it, I got into if it. it hurt, if it happened before, then I'm not aware of it. Um, but it's, you know, 20 plus years of, you know, this is where hackers get their news, and yeah. uh, pretty cool that they're still still doing meetups. Meet yeah, there's that. so many opportunities to get involved in the security community. Uh, there's so many meetups. People are willing to share here, and we do operate in sort of a secret environment sometimes, what people would say, like, I don't want to give my security posture away, but most of the meetings I've been to, people have been super helpful. Uh, as you're building a program, whether you're getting into or just maturing your program, there's somebody there that can help you. Yeah. And I think that that bodes well for the Colorado security community. Awesome. Well, that's it for my questions for you. Any comments you want to make before we, before we call it? I think, you know, um, the podcast is great. People, awesome. people talk about it. They love it. And I think um, I'm honored to be on here. 
Oh, we're glad to have you. I mean, there's been some fantastic people. I'm a weekly listener, and uh, there's a lot of good information gleaned off of these. So I write something down every week, and um, it's a good community to connect with. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks for your time. Hopefully, we'll get to keep, keep in touch, and uh, uh, we'll update folks when when your new product hits the market. We'll get yes. the, we'll get it on the on the news part of the podcast. Thanks, Rob. All right, have a good one. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.